I think it would be a mistake if people weren't getting together, at least periodically. I think it's so important to, you know, you want to have cohesiveness as a, as a team. You want to know the people that you're working with. You've got to see people. I don't care what the industry is. I think that that's important. So there has to be some sort of regular or semi-regular activities where people are getting you know, together. Insurance dudes are on a mission to escape being handcuffed by our agencies. How? By uncovering the secrets to creating a predictable, consistent, and profitable agency sales machine. I am Craig Pretzinger. I am Jason Feldman. We are agents. We are insurance dudes. I mean, when you're looking for candidates to come into your office, it's nice to not just look in a 10 mile radius to look, you know, countrywide. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I have people move all over the place. I mean, we were mostly New York city and LA centric, you know, some very expensive uh, Santa Monica, actually very expensive, you know, places to live. You could live anywhere, you don't anywhere you want. Didn't you could, you, you, you could move to Boise and, or have a farm in Iowa uh, and still do this. And you didn't have to pay the kind of rents, you know, that you pay in the markets that we're in. And, and you still got paid, you know, New York city, you know, salaries. That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. So what are some tips, uh, for insurance agents going into this, you know, forward and, and into this new world? What are we, uh, I think it would be a mistake if people weren't getting together at least periodically. I think it's so important to, you know, you want to have cohesiveness as a, as a team. You want to know the people that you're working with. You've got to see people. I don't care what the industry is. I think that that's important. So there has to be some sort of regular or semi-regular activities where people are getting, you know, together. And, you know, it doesn't matter what your age is. You better, you better up your technology game because technology can, you know, uh, facilitate uh, efficiency, profitability, you know, greater careers, more time with your family, uh, time to raise your kids, all the things that we didn't have before, you know, uh, less less time in your car commuting, all that stuff. But I do think, you know, in, 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 in your industry, that people having FaceTime, like real time together is still important. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And in the small, like, so we're a lot of insurance agency owners are, are these, you know, five to 10 employees, you know, smaller shop, some of it's just one person, you know, sole sole shop. Yeah. So if they have a location, it's challenging to have people not, not in, in the office. Oh yeah. And so what's, what does somebody in that situation do and how do they attract the, the top candidates? Are they in trouble now? Um, you know, it's, it's all matter of perspective. I, sure. I don't think so. Look, here's the thing about any industry. Uh, people don't work for me because they love me. I mean, a lot of people do. They like me a lot. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm known in my industry. You will get mentored. I mean, I write books on a lot of books on the, on the very topics of what we do for a living. I can teach and I love doing that. And I, you know, and, and I do think it's incumbent and, and a responsibility for me to do that. Uh, but it doesn't have to be there, there are other ways to do it. It doesn't just have to be now, you know, all that said, you know, we had, I had fancy, fancy schmancy offices. I got famous people coming in. It was a whole scene in my office of famous people, powerful people, big corporations, 
You know, we, we, we had, you know, fruit in the water cooler. You know, it was a whole <laughs> environment. That's not here. We don't have that anymore. And uh, we are together less. But it is not impossible to do in any industry at all. Um, but I do think there has to be some touch points. You know, in, in, in the insurance industry, I do think people will have to come in some days, not every day. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. Like, you could never recreate what you had in that office, right? With like virtually, but uh, going forward, it's like, I, I think all of us as individuals need to look at like, what ways can we recreate? Not the same type of thing, but like different, um, different experiences. Maybe it's more with family, but like we have to be, you know, conscious of creating an environment or multiple environments of, experiences otherwise oh absolutely i mean and you know so much of it depends on like life stages for everybody when i was younger you know i, I had kids i realized kind of after i had my daughter it's like oh damn i work a lot how am I gonna, <laughs> how's that gonna yeah stuff out what's the point of being a dad if you can't be a dad um and so you know this is 30 some odd years ago we opened up a nursery in the office and it, unintended consequence of having a nurse. I did an, a nursery in the office, me and my uh, ex business partner from my first uh, company. We both had kids at the same time. We both didn't want to just leave and see our kids on the weekends. Um, but what we didn't realize in opening a nursery, which isn't easy, but we did it <laughs> was that there were so many moms out there who would be attracted to a place where they could bring their kid to work because that is so awesome and, and not, you know, put their career on the sideline. It, so, I mean, Dang. It, a different time, uh, brick and mortar example and divided by life stage. So, mm. you know, it, it does depend a lot on, you know, I'm, in my career, I've gone from the kid in the room who doesn't know anything to the old guy in the room who thinks he knows everything <laughs> and, 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 and everything in between. So I've been, you know, my kids are, you know, they're older now. Uh, uh, life's different. I have a whole different set of priorities, but you know, that's just me. And, and I also have different generations inside my office. Uh, how, how do you make it attractive to all? What, you know, what adjustments can you make? So while nobody would have said, Hey, Eric, yeah, you're not going to see your kid that much. We didn't think about it. We just said, hey, nursery in the office. You know, then New York City came to inspect our nursery. It was like, damn, we got a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah, that that would be crazy. Uh, I, I know in California, well, California, New York, a lot of regulation. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are some of those things that you're seeing these days that is the carrot, the the attraction that you're offering your employees or you're seeing a lot of other people offer that might be different than, you know, years ago? Well, you know, when I was younger in the brick and mortar world, uh, there was something in my age, it was called Eric school. It was, it was basically one-on-one -on -one mentoring with me. It would always happen before 9am. So made it uh, less appealing to probably half the people, but the whole, not losing the notion of mentoring, making sure that you have those touch points with as many people as you possibly can, not relying on the group Zoom 
you know, and thinking that that's, you know, a, a, a real life experience, <laughs> having more activities outside of the office when and if you can giving the not only giving the best technology that you can possibly get your hands on, but training on that technology so that everybody can use it. And, you know, you do. Uh, I, I I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm seriously interested in, you know, artificial intelligence and how that's going to change the workplace. It won't matter what the technology is. I mean, you know, we, uh, computers were new 40 years ago. Email was a new phenomenon. The, the whole notion, you know, 40 years later that, no, I don't need paper anymore. It's all, you know, it's all on the computer. Uh, that's all new. But you need to give people all the tools that you can possibly give them. And, you know, like with my employees, I did this with as many people as I possibly could. Uh, it was just another touch point. One employee buys a new house, you know, a city person buys a new house and it snows. It's like, oh, now what? We, we, you know, we send them a snowblower. One employee wants to exercise at home. We send them a riding bike. We tried to give uh, uh, and, and furnish um, employees um, environments mm-hmm. so that it would be, you know, not only attractive them, but so that they could, you know, kind of feel the love of the company. That's I like that. Idea. You found out something that they were interested in and then go out of your way to support that. That's pretty cool. No, it's just, it, it's, yeah. it's not, it wasn't, you know, I'm not trying to buy anybody's affections, but it, it's a kind oh, of thoughtful, you know, like doing something thoughtful for somebody. They appreciate, they appreciate it. Even yeah. everything. Know. Look, this is in, in general about life. Certainly as an employer is you make uh, deposits in people's emotional bank accounts. Anything, anything that you can do for them is a deposit. Not every day you're going to make deposits. Some days there's going to be withdrawals. Make as many deposits as you possibly can. You know, the the, uh, the whole notion of loyalty, loyalty and longevity, to me, is the difference between good and great companies. If you can yeah. keep people for a long time um, and they're loyal to you. And, you know, there's the thing about loyalty, too, is that people, you know, they got to be compensated. Um a little bit better than anybody else would compensate them best you possibly can. Awesome. I would love to ask you a few questions about leadership um, before you go. Sure. Uh, because you've read a lot of books on, on leadership and <laughs> um, how would you, how would you coach maybe an insurance agent uh, in leadership? And what are some of the things that you would focus on first? Um, you know, it's uh, it, this is my thing about leadership. And, you know, my biggest book was on leadership. I was a longtime chairman of the Young Presidents Organization in New York City. And one of the things that, that I found fascinating about leadership, uh, and this was after September 11th, there was like 10 of us we were uh, Dick Grosso, he was the chairman of the New York Stock Exchange. We were his guests in this royal conference room on you know, the top of the stock exchange, and it was a dinner. And we went around the table, and each one of us, and everybody in that room, except for me, you, you was kind of famous. You would know their last name. You got the soap and, you know, their last name is the soap in your shower sort of thing. Uh-huh. And we, we, we went around the room and everybody said, what did you do? This was on September 11th. What did you do? Like, Dick Rosso had some crazy story. I mean, he, 
he had the world financial markets on his back if he doesn't get it up and running. And he's telling the story about going in the basement of the stock exchange, opening the door and the, the, all the electric cords are dangling in the, you know, the flood that's almost to the ceiling. They got to rehook up the whole stock exchange. Otherwise, the, the, the financial markets collapse. The story was oh fast. So as we went around the room. No pressure. Right. No pressure. <laughs> um, but as we went around the room, I realized like everybody had such a different story. Everybody's the way that they and it was that day that I decided to write uh, the first leadership book that I wrote because I wanted to find out how do how do successful people do it? Uh, what are the common denominators? What's the magic formula? And the magic formula is there isn't one. Um, <laughs> uh, I asked the same questions to everybody. There's 100 people that I interviewed for that book. I asked the same questions. Um and I got a hundred different answers to every question that I asked. And I, and every single person was interesting. Every single person was successful and you would know all of them in, in that particular book, but they all did it differently. And this is what I say about leadership is uh, the, the, everybody says the buck stops on the leader's desk. Uh, the buck starts on the leader's desk. We're the ones who start. If I don't love what I do, by the way, I love what I do. Um, it's not just, you know, Reddit or, you know, a hashtag. Yeah. If I don't love what I do, nobody who works for me is going to love it at all. It, everything about the way that people feel about the work that we do, it starts with me. Um, and that's the case no matter how you know small you are or how big you are. Positivity, optimism is very contagious. Uh, when I was younger, I was known for, I did a lot of crisis work. That's what I was known for. And I mean, for the, you know, the Fortune 500, the really big crises, hopefully you never heard of any of them because we handled it that accordingly. <laughs> but, you know, my whole thing about crisis and, and, you know, I train people in this is you walk into a fire with me to this very day, walk right in the middle of it with me. We will all walk out unscathed 100 percent of the time. People got to believe me to even walk into that fire. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years plus never got burned once. It, 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 your attitude is contagious. Mm. You wake up in the morning, you want to do, you know, what you're doing for a living. Um, it's not, you know, I'm not being a cheerleader. I, I just, uh, I think working for a living would suck. I can't believe that I get paid for what I do. It's like, I, I can't believe it. It's like, I, I love this. Yeah. Uh, and everybody should, everybody should love what they do. If they don't, they yeah. should have something else to do. hundred percent. Yeah, I, I I love that. It's so true, and and it's funny. All the conversations, the exit conversations I've had with em employees have all been geared in the last two years. Have all been geared around them not being happy and like, why wouldn't they? You know, you're not following what we're we're doing, and we're, we're we love what we do. And if you don't love what you do, you got to find that man. And and usually that conversation <laughs> leads to them exiting. I haven't had to fire anyone. Uh, because of that. No, I mean, the thing is, is it's not like I'm not, you know, I mean, I started a company when, you know, I was 22 years old. I had to, well, truth be told, I wanted to wear sneakers to work and all I needed to do was make sure I had rent and the and, and could cover the bar bill. Sort of <laughs> everybody had, I mean, realistically, you know, we got bills. Yeah. Um, everybody, so we got to make money somehow, but there is a way to make a living uh, that isn't work, mm, it, right? It, it, you know, if you find your passion, 
And if you find your passion, you're never going to work a day in your life. It's so much better. Love it. Any final words for any insurance dudes out there? I still have a couple of things. Oh, if you don't mind, I guess I jumped the gun. You did. Just, just let me, I'm <laughs> curious just about this because there's an adversarial relationship, at least maybe perceptually there's an, there's an adversarial relationship between the employer and, and the, mm -hmm. and the employee, right? Because the employee, the employee comes and is trying to, is trying to get the most amount of money and do the least amount of work to get that. Whereas the employer final final thing is to get the most amount of productivity for the least amount of cost, right? I mean, that's their fiduciary responsibility of the company. So how how do you bring those two different opposing views together? You know, I, I, I've said this on, you know, long before anybody was doing anything virtual, long before. Uh, I mean, I've been saying the same thing for, uh, I don't care how many hours you put in in the least. It's all about productivity for me. You get your job done, I don't care. I don't care when you work. I don't care what your hours are. You get your job done, you'll never hear. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a micromanager. I was when I was younger. I right. everything. I'm a type A. I'm, you know, my organizational skills get me you know, time management, all of that. I didn't understand why everybody wasn't like me. And uh, <laughs> I, I would go into their offices and think, you get anything done in this? The, the office is a mess. So we did a, a study, this is about 25 years ago, uh, of CEOs of the Fortune 1000. And we correlated their organizational skill set to, the, uh, to their stock prices. And I knew what I would find is the more organized, you know, the more successful. I found the opposite. So, you know, I, you know, I learned to adjust. There was something to be said for, you know, a creative work environment. Didn't always have to look like, you know. Yes. Yeah, it was called the messy desk survey. I mean, my desk never has a, any, never had a piece of paper on it ever. Um, but the, you know, I was exactly wrong, which was you know, eye opening. But it, it, it's all about productivity and the understanding. I want people who work. I don't even say for me who work with me. I, you know, uh, uh, I look at us all as peers. Doesn't matter what our age is. I know. I know. The kids who work for me want to learn things from me. I'm like, I'm definitely gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I do that. Um, but the understanding from day one is all you have to do is produce as long as you produce. You you, you will never hear from me. And it, look, this wasn't you know easier said than done. Uh, and uh, you know, first twenty years, you know, were a challenge. And uh, you know, I would say about life, you know, the first fifty years were the hardest. I'm, I've been pretty good ever since. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, it, thank you. That's good. And then as a follow-up it for, for agents, like this is the, this is the challenges is agents are smaller. Sometimes the cash flows, it's a different situation than a large company. Right. Yeah. So, but they still have to make similar decisions and they, they have to be careful with screwing up because it, it could be detrimental, right? Hiring the wrong person could be detrimental to the whole thing. So, so I guess, is a better strategy. And especially because a lot of them are sales, it's tough to give somebody a large salary or the, you know, the, the thinking is it's tough to give somebody a large salary as a base for sales, because then where's the incentive to write the business. Right. So where do you draw that line? Do you, Oh, I think that, but you know, I, I mean, kids who hustle. Yeah. Um, and the difference between the, and not even, it doesn't matter what age you are. 
those who hustle versus those who don't. It's not fair that somebody else has to do your job for you. And if your if if your compensation is directly tied to how much you hustle, you decide. And I'm so amazed at what people can get done in a day when it's directly tied to their compensation. They, right. You, I mean, you, you know, you want to pay your mortgage and you want to have a nice car or I don't know, uh, whatever your toys of choice are, sure. uh, you know, diapers for, for, for the baby, whatever it is, those who hustle will always make more and those who don't won't. Yeah, for sure. So come to New York City. We'll teach you how to hustle. <laughs> we hustle. <laughs> um, last thing. But I mean, but look at you guys. Look at what you're doing. Like you have this podcast. Yeah. That's a unique extra that you're doing in your industry. Yeah. How appealing does that make you to potential, you know, employees and even to the, to the people that they sell to? Yeah. I think this this vehicle, which is a new one. I mean, I I didn't used to do podcasts. Right. Podcasts, I, they, they pack a punch. I can't they believe do. the influence that podcasts will have. And meanwhile, like this interview is an example. This will live on the internet forever. Right. You know, I'm not saying I'm the most interesting guest in the world, but oh, I bet you good. get some interesting guests. So the, <laughs> the content that you're putting out there, which also attracts to you. Right. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, we started it just to because we wanted to use it as a way to learn, right? And then share that knowledge with other agents. And all of a sudden... People started listening besides our moms. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it was it was years of doing it. And then it led to businesses and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it's well, been really it's cool. The thing, too, is, is that, you know, in this world, like, you know, I'm a guy who, you know, I've been in the news my whole life. I was on national television for a decade. Um, I mean, regularly, I, I was a political pundit after I left uh, the White House. It, the what I attracted because of my exposure, it wasn't insignificant. It was, you know, and, and by, by the way, writing books definitely helped with that exposure. But, you know, there was I, I, one of the companies I, I'm involved in a lot of entrepreneurial ventures that I had started, I don't know, a, a decade ago was Good Morning America's. In, this was an e-commerce company um, that I was an investor and a partner in. We were Good Morning America's product of the year, whatever the year was. And I remember thinking like, oh, man, my mom's going to be impressed by this. The same day that we come, this is on, you know, ABC, Good Morning America, Echo product of the year. Uh, this kid's name was Josh Spear. Um, I'll never forget because I was too busy to do an interview with Josh Spear. I mean, I was Echo product of the year. I didn't need to talk to Josh. <laughs> he canceled. I do an interview with Josh Spear. Um uh, he blew uh, the article that he wrote, blew out our entire inventory in 24 hours. Good morning, wow. America. So negligible. Wow. Uh, and <laughs> the, the notion to see, you know, this is this was a blogger before before people really knew what blogging was versus right. Good Morning America. I say the same thing about podcasts. And the other thing about podcasts is, is that, I mean, I, I do a lot of these and I'm... Uh, I'm constantly surprised uh, by feedback that I get from places that I would never think I would hear anything about, other, you know, than my mom. But <laughs> he's kind of getting bored of watching me anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think love it anymore. Awesome, Eric. You went the distance. Uh, your upcoming book. When is that? Is that going to be out this year? 
Uh, I hope so. We're, we're having a few problems in editing. Uh, 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 oh, yeah. That's fun. The audacity of silver linings. It's all about hope. <laughs> Love it. Nice. Super cool. Yeah, cool, thanks. cool. Well, we'll be looking out for it. Eric, thanks for coming on. Thank your you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. Thank you.